0: Well, take your Bible and uh, as promised, we're going to turn now back to our study of uh the of the beloved physician's gospel. That is uh that is uh Luke, the doctor. Uh and we're going to uh pick it up in chapter 7 uh as we consider a message I've entitled The Day That uh, The Day That Jesus Was Amazed. In uh, Luke chapter 7 verse 1, we're going to look at verse 1. To ten this morning, uh, in this amazing, amazing account. You know, one of the one of the most beautiful thing about children is is that uh, they are often amazed as they discover uh, the world that's uh, about. Uh, it's an exciting thing to work with uh, with children. Those of you who have taught uh, the younger children uh, in Sunday school or in teaching or or your your own children, or, or nephews and nieces and, 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 and others know uh, that uh, it's a big world out there, and as children uh, grow in their uh, awareness of the world and discover all sorts of things, you, you remember that as a young parent, Faithy and I remember that, well, they're going to discover what? Their toes, right? Like, like oh, there's, yeah, they'll, put, they'll grab their feet, you know, and then they discover their thumb and and then it uh, it goes out from there, don't they? And and the amazement of, of of that, and the excitement and the joy of that discovery is is so much fun. You know what happens to us old codgers is we go, I, we see some see the world, we see an incredible sunset. So I go, oh yeah, I've seen that a thousand times. You know. I, you know, we need a good smack in the head, you know, because we we just take this amazing sky at night with all the stars, and we go, "Oh yeah, I've seen that before. Yeah, that's the Big Dipper. Yeah, yeah. So what? You know, I guess it's what is the matter with you? The amazement of children. We were we were together for Christmas, as you know, with Sarah and Greg, and all the only time our whole family got together in a whole year it was such great fun that week. <clears throat> and uh, all the presents were down by the tree Christmas morning, and Faith and I were down there. And little Taylor, our four-year-old, she be four next week, a couple weeks, and she came down. I can't believe it! I can't believe it! She's jumping up down. all these all these presents. I can't believe it. Well, that was worth worth the drives, eight hundred miles down there to hear what her amazement, right? If you don't have uh, little ones around, Christmas uh, isn't it even much fun, is it? We have all those memories tucked away, but she's jumping up and down, like, where's my camera? I got to take the video of this, you know. The amazement of that, you know, and, uh, you know, there are amazing things in life. Like what? I wrote down just a few. How about the seasonal changes? You know, like, oh, yeah, it's winter. Oh, yeah, dead of winter. Hey, it's beautiful. There's a beauty to each season. Right? Yeah, there is if you're in Florida, you say in winter. <laughs> but there's a beauty to it. Look at that. Oh my God, if you could take the water and turn it whitish in color and it covers and blankets all the filth. Right? It's beautiful, really, if you think about it. Now if you have to work in it. Jeff, are you working in it? Where's Jeff? Are you outside? Where are you okay in that? Man, it gets cold out there. Wow. Rob, you're outside too a lot, aren't you? Yeah, well, you, yeah. But seasons, the beauty of how about the fall foliage, the summer, and turning of the globe? You, you know, if who knows how long you live or the Lord, you only get a few of seasons and it's over. I remember at Wendell Kempton's funeral three years ago this month, they had on a big uh, a sign like that, a big, they blasted up the exact number of days that he lived. I thought, well, there's a reminder that God gives. So many days. They just don't go on like endless, endless days. You only have, God gives that. Seasons and years and and all that. How how about the birth of a baby? That still blows me away. Uh, Did I tell you our Sarah's pregnant again? I didn't tell you, did I? I didn't tell you. Faith and I are like doing, we're like this. We couldn't tell anybody for a long time. Faith said, uh, Sarah said, don't tell anybody, you know, August 11 is the due date, and uh, I'm going to, you know, the longer you keep it a secret, you know, it seems like it goes faster, well, then she called Faith last Sunday and said, forget it, you tell anybody you want, we need their prayers, Taylor was in her Sunday school class last week, I got news, (laughs) mommy's going to have a baby, and the teacher gasped. (laughs) And uh, so then afterward, found out it was really true. And so Sarah says, just tell everybody we need their prayers. (laughs) Taylor amazed and and praying for the baby. Doesn't even talk to her mother anymore, just talks to Sarah's stomach and reads books about Batman and all that kind of thing. She's amazed by that, the birth of a baby. Isn't that amazing? Life and love. How about love and romance and beauty and all of that? Men Valentine's Day is coming. That's your last warning. It's around the bend. Romance, life, beauty. How about beauty? God, I mean, God is, is beautiful and what he makes is beautiful. Don't yawn and say, Oh, I've seen that before. The fact that you can see and you see the spectrum and color and beauty. And that more than that, God has given you an appreciation for that. Some of you say, Yeah, I took fine arts. I remember he said something about that. You know, no, really. It's beautiful. Learn to take it in to the full every day and be amazed at what God is. How about music? You know, heaven is going to be filled with music. Music like you never heard, like I never heard. I can't wait to hear it. God, our God sings, Zephaniah 3. How about that? Hear God singing. I'll bet you'll pipe up and sing when that happens, right? He's singing, I guess I better sing, right? beauty of music. Oh, that's the joy of it. In family and all that kind of thing. Even in a fallen world where really it's not perfect, is it? Well, the truth is we should never lose a sense of awe, wonder, as we see, I mean, really see what God has made. When we read the Gospels, we find many people uh, being amazed at Jesus, and rightfully so, they should be, right? He's the most amazing one who ever walked on the face of the earth. And we say, well, you know, they ought to have been amazed, and they were amazed. They were amazed at this one. Uh, He he caused a great stir with his teaching. Nobody ever taught like the Lord Jesus. I mean, nobody ever. I've sat in lecture halls and and heard uh, lectures for years and years and years. And uh, to have sat there and hear the God made flesh, the great, you know, teaching is a divine activity. God is a great teacher. And to hear the Lord Jesus teach, you're like, wow. And that's, they were amazed. Nobody ever taught like him with power and authority. Nobody ever preached like him. Nobody. And there's a difference between teaching and preaching. or The word would be the same. Nobody ever preached. How about that? I've heard some great preachers in my lifetime, and I've traveled far to hear them. Uh, Dr. Boyce and Jim Andrews and some of these men, Dr. Pickering, a lot of, most of them, those, all those men are in heaven already. Great preachers, expositors, teachers of the Word of God. Great preaching. I mean, great, but nobody, nobody ever preached like Jesus. Nobody. Nobody did. The Puritans used to say, God only had one son, and he made him a preacher. I like that. I like that, you know? Wow. People were amazed at him, and they should. How about his healing? Man, oh man, his healing. We'll see one next week where he raises the dead. They're amazed. They started shouting, we'll get ahead of our son. They A prophet has come from God. They just... Responded that, amazed. But our story today isn't about people being amazed. It really is a, almost a standalone in Scripture. It tells the day when Jesus was amazed. That really captured my imagination. The God of glory, the God made flesh, the Creator made man, the God-man, be amazed. Now, we said last week God never learned anything. Remember Psalm 139? He, he always knew everything. He never discovered anything. He knew all the hypotheticals, all the real, all of that stuff. He never had to learn anything. And now we have, this week, God made flesh, the Lord Jesus, truly God, verily God of verily God, joined together in, in true humanity. All the humanity ever had came from Mary, the seed of the woman. A woman doesn't have seed, that miraculous incarnation. And now he's walking planet earth. The creator's feet touched the dust that he made. And then he enters a ministry, about three years. And in the midst of that ministry, according to the scriptures, in this positive statement, this is the only time positively it said, Jesus was amazed. Well, I want to know what that is. I do. There's another account, and there's only the two of them in all the Gospels, in Mark 6.6, 6, you can write that down. It's another time when Jesus was amazed, but it was not good. He was not, he was amazed at the hometown crowd. The, his family and those that saw him grow up in Nazareth, that they didn't believe upon him. and They rushed him out of town there in Nazareth. That was not, he was amazed at their unbelief. But here, he's amazed at a Gentile, imagine that, uh, his, his uh, trust and faith in the Lord. Wow, we ought to get our arms around this one. This is, this is wholly different, the, that Jesus is amazed. Well, he's just finished. Let me give you the context. We saw months ago, and we walked our way through the Sermon on the Plain, Similar to the Sermon on the Mount, but different, given in a different location. A lot of themes similar, but different. He's just finished that. He gave, again, the story about the wise man builds his house upon the rock. That is, he's a man of faith. He hears the word of God, and he builds it into his life. And so that's the connection between chapter 6 and chapter 7 as we move into this. And I just want us to make three observations about the day that Jesus stood amazed, for it calls all of us to, uh, to recognize this authority of Jesus, the God-man, and that we would respond like the centurion. And then in doing so, God would say, those are my people. Or well, Jesus is going to do that. He's going to turn to the crowd that's following him. There's a huge crowd. And he turns in verse 9, look at that, and he speaks to them, and the way he speaks to it is a way that is to motivate you and me to be just like the centurion. And so it's important for us to note that. Well, let's uh, let's read the account. If you've not found Luke 7, find it now. Let's look at verse, and read the account, verse 1 to 10. And when Jesus had finished saying all this, that's the sermon on the plain, in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum, and there a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. And the centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking to come and to heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, "This man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation. And he's built our synagogue. And I tell this one, Go. and he goes, and that one come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Verse 9, and when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house, and they found the servant well. He had been healed, you see. Well, three observations uh, about the day that Jesus stood amazed, calling us to recognize his authority. For he has the authority and the power to hear us and to heal us and to answer our prayers, even from a distance, from here to his place in heaven. Now, we stand and we live in his presence, but he is bodily in the third heaven right now. And he hears us. He hears us. And he has the the authority and the power. All authority has been given unto me to hear and to answer prayers if he were physically present. Well, the first observation, we like the servant uh, will pay one day the wages of our sin and we will die. You know, it's a wise man or woman who thinks about this. We live in a world that doesn't like to think that they're going to die. Uh, But you will die, and it makes you wiser to think about it. It will. It will. You'll make better choices in life. Especially in the heat of temptation. You'll think, well, wait a minute. Whoa. I have to give an account before the Lord Jesus Christ of my life. It will cause you and cause me to make better decisions. We, we see in, the, in this servant who's uh, right at the doorway of death. It's a reminder to us, shouts to us, dying you will die indeed. The wages of sin is death. I told you before not to be morbid, but uh, I rather enjoy reading the obituaries. First, I'm glad that I'm not there that day when I read it. Look at it, okay? But the more and more it makes me laugh. It's like reading the high school annual. You know, like, it, it goes, it'll say, uh, Terry Zabolski, he, he, he loves skiing, reading books, did photography, it's almost like that, what people write, joy travel, you know, was friendly, did this and that, and there, here it is. <laughs> it's like, it, in a strange way, I'm going. this is like reading my high school yearbook when I was graduating. I have to go ask someone to sign it, put down some, you know, a little ditty in the thing, too. Remember the football team always, crush the beast, you know, that kind of thing. It looks like that to me, I don't know. Anyway, but it's a reminder, it helps me, it does. Well, here we find a Roman soldier, the setting who had a servant uh, uh, that he loved, he loved him, that was very unusual. Uh, Usually uh, in that day, uh, the Roman centurions uh, are the, High in office, if a surgeon was sick and they used them up, they just, they'd they throw them out, leave them to die. they you like trash, they treat them. It's horrible. Not this guy. This guy had a tender-hearted love for his servant who was dying. There was a parallel account in Matthew. Write that down, Matthew 8, uh, verses 5 to 13 is a parallel account. And we pick up a few tidbits of information that are a little, that uh, Luke omits for his purpose is a little bit different than Matthew, writing under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. But we do discover in Matthew's account that the man's uh, affliction was that he suffered uh, being paralyzed. Now, you would think Luke, the physician, would be more about uh, diagnosing his illness for, for doctors often are, are of that mindset, right? But he's, he's more in writing in his purpose Uh, and it fits his purpose. He gives a prognosis, not good. He's going to die, and not the diagnosis. Well, we understand that he is paralyzed from Matthew. Now, Jesus is in Capernaum. That means the village of Nahum, probably Nahum the prophet. Uh, It's the center of Jesus' ministry operation. Remember, Nazareth threw him out. The hometown crowd thought they knew him. It's another case where familiarity breeds ignorance. A lot of people grow up in churches and whatnot, and this and heard of Jesus. Oh, I've heard of him, or her. And they're completely ignorant of who he really is. They thought they knew him. We know his father. Isn't he the carpenter? We know his mother, his brothers. And he grew up in the synagogue school, and and all of that. And uh, they rejected him when he came to the point of the beginning of his public ministry. Rushed him out of town. Well, not too many miles away was Capernaum. Uh, this, uh, this bustling uh, town on the north shores of the Sea of Galilee, I've been there a number of times, was on the major east-west uh, trade route, and there's a Roman garrison there, and it was a fishing town, and all of that, that's where Peter lived, that was his hometown, and, and, and all of that is a very busy area. The tax collectors, you know, you went along the, be like the turnpike, right? You went down there and they looked at you, and you looked wealthy. They'd squeeze money out of you, right, Greg? Like the IRS or something, huh? Yeah, you look like, hey, you look like you can afford more. They squeeze it out of you for what you get. That 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 happened right there in Capernaum, and there's a synagogue and there are Jews there and all the rest. That's where it's taking place. The Roman outposts guarded the main trade route and went through the village and The centurion he was a very powerful man Centurion sounds like century comes from the Latin right he was a he was a an officer in the Roman army. He was over a hundred soldiers typically uh, they were uh, like a captain, maybe a mid range they weren 't the commanding general, but they were they were very powerful men. They were paid a great deal of money from the, from the treasury at that point, and uh, they were able men. They were sturdy men. They were able to fight to the death to hold the line and commanding the men. And here he is, this man. It reminds us that, uh, you know, I don't know if you ever thought, but influence is really seen typically in three ways, and in, in, it's true in our day. Influence. Say, so who has influence? Well, if you think of it, it's the three P's, right? Position. You know, think of position in life and in the community and society. What's his position? You know, here's a here's a captain. He's a centurion. He had position of authority, influence. Uh, second P is possessions. He was wealthy. Here, uh, the text told us, we read it. He, uh, the Jews said, he built our synagogue. Well, it takes resources to do that. He was tender heart. And third, he had personality, right? Some people have just a, a a winsome personality and can influence others, right? So position, possessions. Sometimes we're overly impressed with people that have possessions, and allow us to influence maybe for evil when we should have said, now wait a minute there. Read the Proverbs on that. But this man had seemingly all three, right? Position, possession, and personality. He, he, was, he, he was kind to Jews. This is very unusual. Jews are lobbying for him. I mean, the Jews hated the Gentile. The Jews really hated the Romans. The Jews really hated the Roman soldiers, and this is really odd, as uh, these Jews that go on his behalf, these elders, are lobbying Jesus that uh, he ought to come because he's worthy because he's he's helped the nation of Israel and the Jews and and he loves his servants. So it shows a a, a full hearted personality. I would say this guy's got everything going for him, so to speak, as the world counts that. Insofar as influence, he's a powerful man. Yet he couldn't rescue a servant, could he? He couldn't. He's a powerful person. But he discovered that uh, there lays a whole lot beyond what he is able to do. And isn't that the way it is? He tried everything. He had heard of Jesus then, finally, but he tried everything, no doubt. I think it's fair to assume that. In in sensing the passage here as we get the thumb sketch in the text, it reminds us that oftentimes in life we come, don't we, to the point where we we can't do anymore. Our loved ones here, we hear from the doctor, right? We've done all that we can. We can't do anymore, Right? That's has we go like, "Whoa, you don't, but I'm president. I run this corporation. I have this ability. I live in that house. who ca-? no matter. It's beyond us, right? Or financially, we we hear of those that struggle with finance, and then we and it's it's beyond us, we can't help. You know, it's beyond uh, about emotional needs uh, there's a lot of that in our broken world and they go well, our loved ones and they suffer and we go I, I can't help them I, I've done everything I can and what do we do at that point well he hears of Jesus there's the, there's the answer right he takes it to Jesus we we'll gonna see that and that's what we need to do as well Well, B, it's a clear reminder then that all people everywhere are under the sentence of death. This man's going to die. It reminds us of our own mortality. Mortality simply means you and I are subject to death. The wages of sin is death. Even though we don't like to think. Death is our last great enemy, the scriptures call it. Bunyan called it the river. Going to cross the river and get to the celestial city. The river of death. God's going to carry us through and across. Listen, if you're a believer in Jesus, you never have to worry about that. Never. He'll see you through that. And when you breathe your last breath and close your eyes or somebody closes them you, you will be in glory if you know Christ the Lord. You'll be home. You'll be home. According to the authority of the word of God. It's not my authority. I don't have any. I'm just the delivery boy, delivering the Sunday good news to you. Good news. Isn't that good news? It is. It is. It really is. One man writes, I have Bruce Miller's comment here, and and I have a quote, uh, death confronts us as nothing else does. Uh, It confronts us with our insignificance and our weakness. It exposes the folly of our thoughts of greatness. Great and small, all of us—the great leveler, all of us—we all die. Well, the truth is, Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes nine twelve: "Man knows not his hour." You don't know. You don't know. Older folks tend to die, but all the way through, uh, as a pastor for for thirty some years, I've had I've had the uh, the responsibility of conducting funerals for babies that were never born. They, they died in utero and for little children and young children and teenagers. I remember one little boy suffered with leukemia in Wabash Hospital. I, Boy, oh, if you could go in there and minister to him without tears in your eyes, no hair, no hope, all the way through, car accidents, We're happy for the five CV students that survived that. And yet, our hearts are broken this week when four boys over in Mannheim. Terrible thing. Broken hearts and all the way through. You don't know. We we don't know. Man knows not his hour. No guarantee. Three score and ten, four score. No guarantee on that. Thing is, you got to be ready. You got to be ready. You don't know. This man's a servant. He's at the doorway of death. Nothing they can do. And uh, wow. Well, that's the first observation. The servant, and we like him. Will one day pay the wages of our sin. We got to be ready. You're not ready if you're not in Christ. Not ready. Well, the second observation, we, like the centurion, need to go to Jesus for help when all else fail, fails. That's the solution. He, and all his greatness, and he was, came to the end of himself and had nowhere else to turn. It was truly a hopeless situation. The centurion sent some of the Jewish leaders to Jesus in, in verse 3 and following. You he heard of Jesus. That's good. A lot of people never heard of him. Sent some elders, they're probably leaders in the city there at Capernaum, uh, some of the Jews, and asking uh, to Jesus, come and heal the servant. Invite him to his house. Wow, that's a, we'll t- muse on that a little bit. What would, uh, what would you do if uh, Jesus was coming to your house? Wow, that's a thought, isn't it? That's a thought. And Jesus had not met, and we don't know that he ever met the centurion. He's a major character in the passage, but we never see him, uh, we never see him, and we never see him talking to Jesus. Kind of interesting. And you should know also that Luke, this is the first dealing in Luke of a Gentile with Jesus. Uh, You see, Luke is in a hurry to show that it's the one Savior and the one gospel for all the world, not Jews only. As he's going to really develop, as God allows him to write the book of Acts, there's no Jew, no Gentile. It's for all people everywhere, for the human race of all nationalities. It's the one Savior, even this centurion. And uh, Jesus is going to come visit him at his house. And so uh, these Jews go to Jesus. We see that in the text. And their whole approach is Lord, this man is worthy. He's worthy. And they begin to uh, lobby, as I said, and then they, they lay down his pedigree. Look what he's done. He's a good man. He's a good man. He's, he, he's so good that, that you should come and uh, you owe him this, in essence. Wow. Apparent goodness. The scriptures don't teach that, do they? Psalm 14, there's none good, no, not one. In case you miss it, read Psalm 53. almost repeats the same song. None good, no, not one. None worthy. Well, as we measure each other, some of us are taller and shorter and all the rest, but we're minions. You go to the moon, look back, can't see any of us. And if you compare yourself with holy God, we're all in deep trouble. None worthy, no, not one. And they argue on the basis of merit, don't they? They do. Now, this centurion could have ordered Jesus to come. I'll jump ahead and say that. He, I mean, he's a Roman centurion. Jesus, 11 o'clock tomorrow at my house. How about that? That's a strange thought. But well, never did that, did he? Uh-uh. Nope. And these Jews go. He's worthy. This apparent worthiness is often the way our world thinks. Good people should receive good in life. And before God, when they die, God should measure their works, right? What goes around comes around. You know, that's not really true. Good people should have good things happen. I've had good people suffer great, great things. You know, there's an adage, a you say, if God wants to use a man, he hurts that man. If God really wants to use a man, he really hurts that man, crushes him. It makes it more pliable. This, yeah, this, he's good, so he ought to have only good happen. Well, well, well you and I run into sin. We set in this uh, like, way, like a stone in a pond waves, and we then suffer through consequences of, of our, our foolishness and then our rebellion. But uh, life happens, doesn't it? And that's the way the world thinks. It's not the way ever to approach God. People think, well, he's a good man, so God will weigh the good and the bad when he dies and so let him into heaven. No way! It's not by works of righteousness that we're saved. None good, not one. God's standard is perfection, and we all fail. Here's the good news, the gospel is, is that in Christ, God gives you the goodness, the righteousness that makes you acceptable. It's a gift of God. It's a gift. Otherwise, we'd be strutting around saying, "Boy, aren't I something?" I got in on that. Oh, I'm so man, I'm good. No. You're far from the cross. You're far. Remember the story the Lord gave of the of the Pharisee? Oh Lord, thank you that I'm not like them. I'm not a woman, not a this and that. They're in the town. And then there was another man, right? Right? The publican, the tax collector, he was the he was the scum of the earth. And yet God had saved him, right? Te- Jesus said uh, in, our, in the text, he was, he was so lowly, he wouldn't even look up to heaven and pray. He just said, Lord Jesus, be merciful, or God, be merciful and me a sinner. And the Lord asked the question, which one of those two do you think heard, God heard their prayer? It's when we recognize their unworthiness. These, these Jews didn't have it right. He's, he wasn't worthy. He wasn't. There's none worthy. You're not worthy. I'm not worthy. That's the first step when God tears the blinders off your eyes. Wait, I am a. s I'm a rebel. And God knows all about it. And that's why He sent Jesus. That's the gospel. That's the message of the Word. And these these were arguing on the wrong plane. That would never open the door. Never. It's in mercy that Jesus turns and begins to walk to his house. That's amazing to me. Wow, it is amazing. It's not the way God operates. It's not merit, it's God's mercy. But a basic prepo- pro- a presupposition of our fallen nature is, well, they're good people. And this, well, well, Jesus responds by coming to his home. And that's vintage Jesus, isn't it? Wow, even though he came to the house of Israel at this point, he hears their pleas, and vintage Jesus, he comes to rescue. He's the great conquering king, the great general. He's the great one to rescue us from sin and sickness and death. Though he's a Gentile, wow, upon hearing that Jesus was coming, and, and perhaps others ran ahead, ran back, and said, and, and and what Jesus is coming, the centurion hears it and he's stricken by the reality of his own condition. I mean, he had a high view of the Lord Jesus. He had heard about him. He had heard what he had done in the early days of the ministry. Yet, and he, he was, he, the Spirit of God was doing a work in his life and tore the blinders off, and and maybe they said, oh, you know, this is what they said. You're worthy to have him. And he was stricken with the fact, I'm not worthy. I'm not. And so he quickly said, what am I going to do? Have Jesus come into my home here? This great, powerful man was stricken with the reality of his own sin and his own unworthiness. And so he sends out another crew stop him. From coming, answer the my plea and heal my servant, but stop him. So he does. I'm not. I'm, I'm not worthy. That's why I didn't go to him in the first place, and to have him come here. I'm. I'm. I'm not worthy. Some will say, well, he wasn't uh, ceremonially clean in the Jewish mind. That wasn't it at all. For he says, even in the, this verse, here, I wasn't worthy to even go to him. That's why he sent others to go. He was, a, he was a face-to-face with his own sin and lostness and whole unholiness before God. That's what's going on here. And so he wants to stop Jesus from visiting as he considers himself completely unworthy to have him come into his house. Well, by God's grace, he saw himself as he really was. And he was humbled by it, wasn't it? Humbled. Humbled. You know... Uh, God blesses humility. We're not filled with self. We can easily be filled up with ourselves. I've arrived. Look what I've done. Aren't I a great guy? I mean, we ought not to walk around with with the wrong attitude. I'm dirt. You know, I'm nothing. I'm a zero. I'm not saying that. You're not. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. We're made as... uh, in God's uh, image and likeness and, and life is, is, is precious. And we need to really pray for our country as we come around again to that Roe v. Wade and uh, the abortions in this land and, and just pray that God would work with a grassroots movement and that because even, even all the life in, in the womb is precious and sacred. It is, but having said all that, We recognize humility, who we really are. That's what humility is. It's just recognize who you are. You're not much, nor am I. We're not. We're made in God's image. We're special, but not a whole lot. And we're a shadow of Adam and Eve, a shadow in brilliance and abilities and all that kind of thing. And we ought to recognize that. And everything we have is his. He could have given it to someone else. We should live in this land and have the gifts and the abilities and the opportunity and the resources and the jobs and family. All of these things, all of it. You didn't choose it. You didn't choose it. You say, I'll go in that family there. I like them over there. They're kind of nice. No, it never happened. Never. The fact that God brought you near to the hearing of the gospel and not someone else who's never heard. This man heard of Jesus, and you did too, that's God's grace in your life. What do you have that you've not been given? Everything, everything. And he's, he's gripped with the fact that uh, uh, he's humbled. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, the weight of the cross is low. It's Humility, it's lowliness of mind. God resists the proud. He, he hates that. You know, that's the sin of Satan. Pride. You check it out. Look at Isaiah, uh, chapter 14. Read that later. 12 through 15, the five I wills. Prior to uh, Adam and Eve, I will ascend, I will, I will be like God. He Cast them right down. And in case you're wondering if that's Satan there, First Timothy 3.6 tells us in that description of the elder qualifications. He's not to be a, a new believer lest he, he be uh, captivated by the sin of Satan the devil. What? Pride. God hates pride. Pride. You can't be saved if you're filled with self. I ask the Lord almost daily to expunge self-centeredness out of me. I hate it. It reeks. Be filled with self. I want to be filled with the Spirit. I want to walk with the Lord. I want to to love uh, the love of Christ to flow through me. I I really wish I'd disappear and just be the love of the Lord for and not self, not Terry first. I hate that. It can be that way. Intuitively, that's the way it is. And otherwise it's it's the work of the Lord. So I'm not filled with boy, I've arrived. Well, wow. pride has ruined churches and kingdoms and people. It's an insidious evil thing, isn't it? God hates pride. Read about Nebuchadnezzar if you want to see. There's examples all through the Word. But uh, Daniel 4, 28 to 35. Yeah, and Nebuchadnezzar, the great king, was warned. Daniel says, don't do it, don't do it. He had a dream of a tree. Don't do it. You know, repent, repent. And the day came about 12 months later. Nebuchadnezzar was like, oh, 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 oh look at this Babylon, which I have made for my glory. Right at that moment, God said, "I'm going to strike you down." You're, you know that is so bestiality. That's like a beast. You know what? You're going to live like a beast for seven years until you acknowledge there's a God in heaven. Read that, Daniel four. You see, God hates pride. God had so worked in the centurion's life; he's humble before. I'm not worthy. They have the Lord of glory. I don't know that he was saved at this point. We don't think so. We have no indication. at time. But God had so worked in his life that he saw himself. He knew and thought highly of the Lord. I believe he probably was saved later. But I can't help Jesus visit my home. Oh, man, I can't. In all his greatness. Wow. So anyway, what, what does he do? Indeed, he simply asked Jesus merely to speak the word from a distance, and his servant would be healed. Being a Roman soldier under authority, he had uh, officers over him all the way up to Caesar, and that he had authority, all the men under him, he understood that Jesus had authority and power from God the Father. He had heard of the miracles. He had seen that he, he knew that he was, he, was all, he was powerful and able to do that, and that God had given him this, and he believed that he was able to do it. He had faith. He trusted the Lord to do that. He just didn't need to come to his house and lay hands on. This is why. This is truly uh, the one of the great miracles of healing and all the Bible. there's none greater. I don't think. Yeah, for the Lord Jesus hears this, and uh, He eventually heals him from a distance. Didn't have to check in the Holy Spirit Hospital or Harrisburg or. Somewhere else, right? That'd be something. If doctors could figure out how to do that, they'd send a bill. I didn't show up, but here's the bill anyway, right? We did it uh, wirelessly, right? And the Lord, he, he, he believed that the Lord had the authority. it. didn't have to go and touch him or lay hands on him or put mud in his eyes or all that. Just, just and, and the Lord... Uh, is absolutely amazed, and that's the third option. Let's look at that quickly. Time is going because Jesus expresses great amazement over this faith he has, his humility, and his recognition of the authority that Jesus had from the Father. It's amazing in 9 and 10. Let's just reread that again. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. You might want to circle that at him. And then he turns to the great crowd that was with him and following him. And he does it to commend this man's faith and trust and recognition of his authority and power. I tell you, I've not found such great faith even in Israel. And they were so privileged. They had the Old Testament, the prophets, and the Jesus to be Jewish by birth. And then the men who had been sent returned to the house And found that servant well. Matthew tells us, uh, tells us actually the word that Jesus said. Uh, In Matthew 8, uh, Jesus said, Go, it will be done. You know, we say, Say the word. You know, a word sometimes means just a short expression. Just say the word. Go, and it'll be done. I reminded, the Lord didn't have to say anything. I remind you, it was that same word that one day in your first chapter of your Bible, and God said, and it happened. And the creation came into being. It was a creative work of God. And here's this centurion, having heard of Jesus, at the end of himself, even with all his power, understanding authority, because he would say to his men, get my Jeep across that river. They got it across the river. He didn't have to lay a hand. And the Jesus had the same sort of authority. She goes, wow. And then he commends it. And by commending it to the crowd, he is really calling all of us, do you believe that I can do that too? You know, think about it. Blessed are those who believe upon me who have not seen me, Jesus said that. That's us. I've not seen the body. I've not seen the Lord Jesus in the flesh. Have you? If you have, I want to see you later. You've not yet. (laughs) I've had people tell me they have, but okay. You've not and when we pray from a distance, we live in his presence, but bodily he's in heaven. Someday he's coming. He has the authority and the power to hear our prayers and to answer according to his will. Do you believe that? Jesus is commending him and he's calling us to believe the same about him. It's an incredible account. Really, it is. He's amazed. He believed that uh, anything, it's hard to believe that anything would amaze the Creator made flesh, but it did. And Jesus never made it to his house. Isn't that something? Well, why, why was Jesus amazed? Let me, let me give you just in closing. He was amazed for such a mighty man to see his need for help. I don't need any help, right? That's most people. I don't need help. And then they'll damn God and this and that. I don't need him. Ah, 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 ah. Here's a mighty man that realized he needed help. Listen, you all need help. I need help. Yeah. you amazed at it. Here's a mighty, needed help. He's a Roman, a Roman soldier. It was the work of God in his life. brought him, said, look, you're clay. On the, you're not much. I sneeze and you'll be gone. He needed hell. How about number two? He's amazed for such a good man to see his unworthiness. A lot of people are filled up with their own goodness. God wants us to be good. But we're never good enough to save ourselves, right? God grows us in grace, and we ought to be more and more like Christ, and that means good. But don't be filled up with good. So I'm good and I'm good. I don't I don't need that. And he saw them. "I'm unworthy. That's the grace of God. It tear the blinders off your eyes. You're not filled up with all the things you've done. Forget about those things. You know Paul said, "Forgetting the things that are behind. If you've been saved a lot of years and serve the Lord, God, forget about those things. God keeps the records. Don't rest on your laurels. keep pressing forward. Serve the Lord as unworthy servants. That's what we are. <laughs> even at our very best. Man. Number three, he's amazed to find one who's willing to take Jesus at his word. We want guarantees, don't we? I want a guarantee. Do I get a warranty with that? You know, how about if it's a lemon? You know, Can I bring it back? I want a guarantee. Take Jesus at his word. You know, believers believe. That's what believers are supposed to do. No buts. Yeah, 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 but. I hear my voice in it. Go, to it. Yeah, but, Dad. No, no, yeah, buts here. No. Jesus said it. That settles it. May it be. Oh, amen. We ought to be like that. Open the book, read it. The Lord said it. That's it. Oh, I wish we'd raise up a great church of people that's it. Jesus said it. That's it. Man, let's move out. What a great world out here. That's what he's asking. And finally, the last thing, there are others, but these struck me. He was amazed to find a Gentile who trusted in the power of his command. Just say the word. Don't come and do the voodoo dance and all that, you know. Remember Elisha, the commander came and he said, Gee, I thought you were going to do a little tap dance or something here and heal me of this leprosy. <laughs> no, don't need to do that. No. The Lord hears from heaven. Now, that's a really a long distance phone call, you think about it. Verizon, wireless, better than that. iPhone, going to Verizon, right? <laughs> this is better than that. The man is humble. The man is trusting. He understands the authority of of Jesus, and he goes like, "Wow, and then Jesus goes like, "Wow, i've not seen this before, and this is what I want for you when he turns to the crowd well what what can we say by way of lessons for our life and we'll be done number one this uh this story is a story of the dying, desperate need of lost humanity that's all of us in the picture here. all of us come a day if you live long enough, people say can't do anything more for him. Can't. Nothing. He's in God's hands. Well, we've always been in God's hands, but he's a picture of it. Unless God intervenes, it's hopeless. That's, that's you. I hope you see yourself in the picture there. I see myself. That's all in God's hands. Number two, what do you do when there's nothing else to do? Nothing else you can do in your business, academics, or school, or your family, or heartbreak, and what do you do? What do you and I do? We, we tend to get all lathered up emotionally, and we think it all depends on us. Look, the longer I live, I realize we are small players in this whole thing. But what do you do? Well, what the, we, we, we need to do what the centurion did: Ask Jesus to help. We need to grow up and be like little kids. Trust the Lord like children. He's our, we have a Father in heaven who couldn't love us more than he does. And he's able, isn't he? He's able, He's able. I know he's able. It's not wishful thinking. Look, look at the world and creation and all that. He's not forgotten you. He knows everything about you. He's able. Ask Jesus to help, Lord Jesus help. Remember Peter when he was out walking on water. Never forget, two people walked on water. Only Peter got out of the boat. Sometimes we're a little tough on him, but he did walk on water. And we start looking around. Oh, that's us. Oh, what am I going to do? And started going down. There we go. And what did he say? It wasn't a long prayer. Don't have to give long prayers. Long prayer would have been done. Lord, help. That's not bad. That sort of says it. That's what the centurions is doing. Help, Lord. Help. Number three. God hates our pride. God hates that pride. He hates it in you. He resists the pride. Gives grace to the humble. He blesses humility. I, I really urge you, ask the Lord to to root out the pride that's in each of your heart ever. If not every day, almost. It's, a, it's an awful thing. And, and here's the thing with pride. It, it, it sprouts up in some strange ways. And we uh, it, really, it does. And you just think about that. That haughtiness, the look, the way you think about yourself, and, and all these things, just... Doesn't mean you ought not be your best and do due diligence and be disciplined and in all these things under God's uh, uh, sovereignty, but you're really a small player, and so am I. We ought to recognize that you're not great. Forget Muhammad Ali. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. You're not the greatest. You're not, since sliced bread, right? I don't know what that means, but they used to say that a lot, right? Sliced bread. I think of that at Wegmans when they slice my my bread, Julie. Oh, that bread is so good. I could eat some of that now. Now, Number four. Will you trust Jesus as the centurion did? Will you trust him? That's what Jesus is looking for. Such faith brings Jesus' approval. You see that in the text. That's what, we, that's what we want to do, how huh? to trust the Lord, not only to save us, to keep us, to use us, and, and to be a blessing to all that we should meet, our loved ones, our church, to the, as citizens and part of the community and throughout the world. Will you trust Jesus? We need to trust him as he did. And finally, number five and last, let me urge you to abandon All trust, if you have not, in your own good works. They'll never save you. They'll take you right to hell. They'll take you to hell. There's only heaven, there's only hell. That's it. Say, well, I like a lot of choices. That's it. If there were 15, I'd tell you. And there's no purgatory. Scriptures never teach that, ever. Absence from the body, present with the Lord. That's it. That's it. And your good works will take you right to hell not by works of righteousness, according to his mercy, he saves us. Wow. Are you amazed at the world God has made? It is amazing. It is amazing. I hope you open your eyes every day and look out and see new things and see old things newly and and amazed at what God has done. And be most amazed that he's saved you, if you know him. Look in the mirror and say, wow, I can't. That, I still can't quite get over that. That's even more amazing. And trust him dearly. Know who you are. Recognize that. And pray to him. You know, one of the greatest ways that demonstrates humility, in fact, you say, how do I measure it? Here's a real simple error. How much do you pray? You know, if you have a bigger picture of yourself, uh, you'll tend not to pray. Lord, I can handle this. I'll take care of this. But God sees you and hears you when you get, shut the door, get on your knees, and cry out to God and pray for her. Lord, I'm not much. Bless my children, my grandchildren, my family, my church. Oh, my pastor and his dear wife, need, they need help, they need prayer. My president, our government, our military. Pray, they're lost people, and they pray for them pray. It'll demonstrate really what you think of yourself. And it helps me to get on my knees because it even more reminds me you know, that I'm of the earth earthly and clay and dust. And I bow before the Lord. That's the best part of my day, incidentally. And I don't share it with any of you. But I often remember all you in prayer. I pray for many of you this morning by name. Wow. The day Jesus was amazed. That's amazing. Let's stand and be dismissed with prayer. Father